as we prepare our hearts for the reading of the Word, uh, you saw a glimpse of what we're going to be looking at today. And you may have heard a little bit, as I was sharing with the children, that we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, probably the, the f- most famous chapter in the entire book of Hebrews. And it celebrates all these iconic figures who were faithful in their own way. It's, it's a hall of fame, if you will. And, uh, and, and there's a reason that, that the book of Hebrews takes this shift. Because everything else in the book of Hebrews, before this, in the middle of this and after it, is echoing over and over and over again, Jesus is better, Jesus is worthy, Jesus is the center point of all of our faith, Jesus, Jesus is the reason for the gospel, Jesus is the source of all of our salvation, Jesus is everything. And so it's very, it's going to be very unique when we look at this chapter, and we're only going to be reading a, a small portion of it today, but we're going to be looking at the whole chapter where you go from Jesus to all these other figures. What is the writer trying to communicate? Well, he's going to be communicating that in each of these unique persons, God demonstrated His salvation purposes through them. Even though they were not the source of salvation, God demonstrated His salvation work through them in a way that points people to Jesus. And He does it not just because of them. He actually does it in spite of them. You see, I, I'm a big history nerd. I, I, I love history. Are there any other history nerds in the house? Like you, you just love history? You, aside from ancient aliens, you're like all about the uh, the history channel? You know, maybe you're all about the ancient aliens. I don't know. Uh, I love history. In fact, I, I was telling someone I, uh, that some of my colleagues have said, all right, this is the year that all of these uh, these tweed vests and handlebar mustaches and beards, everything's going to come back because it's going to be like, oh, that's the 20s again. All right. Uh, I said I was preparing early. It's 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 making sense. But one of the things I enjoy is is going to these historical museums, these historical halls, and seeing these Hall of Fame scenarios. Like these are defining moments. These are defining personalities. These are these are moments that shifted everything. I love going and seeing those. Uh, one of my hopes in the near future is to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We are now in that little season where we're preparing for the last part of NFL football and college football, and there will be that just drought season where there's nothing good for sports except for waiting for baseball i know some people are basketball fans i get it i'm just hating because i'm a tall guy that can't play all right that's just all it is uh but i love going there because you see all these mile markers that have been achieved and you say wow what what incredible skill these people had in that moment to achieve that but we must never be misled. While they had the skill to achieve that feat, to go that many yards, to, to score that many runs, to have that many strikeouts, whatever it may be that is being celebrated, that may have required a skill. But the one thing that those museums doesn't paint usually is everything else. That they were able to do this in spite of everything else in their life. And so today we're going to look at that as we look at this Hall of Fame of Faith. That, that while these are celebrated, we may go, wow, that's awesome, all of these people. And you may begin discounting who you are because you may say, I could never be that. I want you to show how, see how God used them in spite of them. So we're going to start in the 8th verse of chapter 11. 
If you're using one of our pew Bibles, that's going to be on page 1068. The words will be on the screen behind us, but we put these pew Bibles out because we want to put the word of God into people's hands and ultimately get in their hearts. And not only whenever they come here, but if you do not have a Bible that is a faithful translation, but also readable, this is our gift to you. We, we give these. If we have to fill them up, we'll fill them up. I filled up uh, three that were taken last week. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, and I'll be f- glad to fill up more. If we, if we run out, that's great. We'll buy some more. But we want to get them in people's hands and ultimately in their hearts. So that's our gift to you if you don't have it. But would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, recognizing that this is God's inerrant, inspired, infallible, perfect word. It's preserved for us. It was gifted to us by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us through the ages. And we have such an honor to read it today together. But this is verses 8 through 16 out of a 40 chapter verse. I figured I would give you guys a little bit of a break, not having to read the whole thing together, although we'll be looking at all of it together. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob and co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from a one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they had come from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. May we not misuse it. May we not treat it as as something that is less than where it came from. Your mouth, your desire for us to know you. May we not twist it to our own agendas, our own ideals. May it be your word, alive, effective, active in our life. And where it needs to pierce down to the deepest part, Lord, use it in that way. Where it needs to convict and draw people to truth, use it in that way. Where it needs to reveal and uncover the holiness of who you are, use it in that way. And where it declares boldly the grace and beauty and glory and gospel found in Jesus Christ, use it in that way. Help me to be your servant today and may may I be faithful with your word as we all learn from you together. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. 
So as we're looking at the Bible, we are trying to answer some questions. We're obviously trying to see what it says. That's why we read the Bible, not reading about the Bible. We're reading the Bible itself. We want to see what it means and why it was written in the time it was written to what was going on. As we look at the book of Hebrews, as I shared earlier, it is the overall declaration of the author uh, in the human hands to 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 declare to the readers that Jesus is worthy of any trials in the middle of any uncertainty. He is worthy of following in faith and sincerity and bringing our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see just what Jesus has accomplished. He's writing to the the multitudes of, of Jewish believers that had come to faith in a time of difficult suffering. It was a time of persecution from the political world and geographical world that surrounded them. But it was also a difficult time in the home front because by following Jesus, by identifying with Jesus, by having their faith in Jesus, they had declared that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the one that was promised to save his people from their sins. And he's also the coming one, the the one who is mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He is Emmanuel, God with us. They were declaring that and that. That caused some skirmishes, uh, even some shunning from the home front. So they're caught in that really difficult world where they have no home and, and both at large and personally in a community. But the, reader is, the writer is reminding them as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to remind these people and remind us today that God is faithful, God does not fail, God is good, and that Jesus... The God-man, the one who was fully God and fully man, he is worthy of it all. But we're going to see not only how, what it means in that time, we're going to see how it applies. Because as we read the word, sometimes things will strike you and I a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean the meaning ever changes because the meaning will not change. But the application in our lives, where we are, God speaking personally, directly to us, it has unique application. Sometimes it's not only individually, but collectively. It may speak to us as an entire church of God personally working in who we are. But lastly, we'll have to ask, will we trust what God is saying? And and here is what I believe the message is declared from this part of Hebrews. That the faults and failures we find in every single one of these heroes of faith, they point to the truth that Jesus is the hero of every story. He's the hero of their story. He's the hero of my story, the hero of your story. If you know him, he is the hero. And we're meant to have this life that's marked as people of, of God, as people who have taken on the covenant of grace, this promise of grace that Jesus alone can give, our life is meant to be defined and marked by faith and trust in God's covenant promises. It's meant to look more like Him. A couple of weeks ago when we were looking at Hebrews before we took a pause for the Christmas season and focused in on Christmas, we were given... Uh, a time together to look at the very first part of Hebrews 11 where it talks about what faith is. It, it's trying to give a definition. You know, people have tried to define faith over a period of time. And, and I would not say there's one just blanket statement of faith. But if we were going to try to give it one, we would understand that faith is not just some sense like we have a, a sixth sense. It is not sight that something that we're able to fully see and, and say this is the evidence of all of it, although there is evidence. And it's not just reasoning out like, well, I've taken these things, I've weighed the facts, and this is where I've come out and landed. It is simply taking God at His Word. 
That's what Christmas Evans, who was a 18th century uh, evangelist, said. He was born on Christmas. If you were wondering why his name is Christmas Evans, he was born on Christmas. And uh, and he said, faith is not a sense, nor sight, nor reason, but simply taking God His Word. And, and that's exactly what we see in, in the iconic figures in their history. That's what they're doing. They're people that took God at His Word. They had a certainty about it. They saw that there was substance in it. They saw that there was the proof that, that what God would speak was, was far more excellent. And they determined that they were going to follow the Lord. You see, faith at its core is a massive sense of certainty that God is indeed who He says He is. That God will do what He has promised. That God is worthy of worship and following Him. It is a massive sense of certainty. It is not just a a pipe dream or some weird frivolous hope or wish upon a star. That is not what it is. It's not one of these things where we come and say, well, I'm doing this and I kind of hope everything will turn out right. No, it's us saying, I have certainty that God, the God that the Bible proclaims, is the one who is worthy of following, that He is, in fact, who He says He is. This is what the Bible gives as this definition of faith. But the great thing about the Bible is it not only gives us definitions, many times it gives us word pictures. And it uses real people. These were not made up fairy tales. These are real people that lived and walked and lived and, and were a part of the history of mankind. And God uses their life to give us not only a definition of faith, as in if you could just have some abstract idea, but it starts giving us the picture. It, it gives us the clear image. A few of the people we looked at a few weeks ago, I just want to re-highlight them, is, is Abel. And the depiction of faith here is that faith is something that worships God. If we're going to have a depiction after the definition, it's something that worships God. It's going to lead us to worship Him for who He is. And you may not know everything there is to know about God, but what you know of Him as He is revealed to you from His Word, you trust. You worship. And it gives us the imagery of Abel from Genesis 4. You know the funny thing about Genesis 4? There's a whole lot of Bible after Genesis 4. It's only the fourth chapter in the Bible. There's a whole lot more that God is going to make known about himself after chapter 4. But guess what Abel still chooses to do? Worship the God that his parents failed to worship. He's, He's setting his life to honor this God. What he knows of him is that he is holy and he is righteous. And he places his faith in this righteous God. And Abel is listed in this place even though he didn't know everything there was to know about god what he did know of god he worshiped him and he's considered righteous because of his faith he's considered righteous because his faith wasn't some frivolous idea or i'm just going to take a little bit here and a little bit there and kind of do whatever i want and try to be a little bit right ish with the lord he wanted to be righteous with the lord he didn't want to have just some religious activity he wanted to worship the true living god That's why you see the difference between him and Cain. You see, Cain was religious. Cain offered an offering. But Cain wanted to do things on his own terms. He wanted to be right-ish, but he didn't have what it was to be righteous. Because he wasn't following in faith. You see, faith worships God. It recognizes who he is, that he's worthy of such activity. Because it's certainty about this God. Faith also is something that walks 
It's not only depicted as something that worships and honors God for who He is, but it also walks. We see the figure that we talked about with Enoch in, in Genesis chapter 5. Where you see Enoch is this mysterious figure that's only given a few verses in the entirety of Scripture. It says that Enoch walked with God and then God took him. He was no more. But it's a beautiful picture of Enoch walking with God. But you know what's awesome about that? The book of Genesis says that that wasn't the only person that that was afforded to. If you remember Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, our first parents. You know what it said about God? He would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. But Enoch, Enoch took advantage of that. He saw the gracious nature that God in all He is would come and dwell with man. And, and Enoch walked in a very wicked, wicked world. You may think it's, oh, pastor, it's completely impossible to be faithful and walk with God these days. Enoch walked in a world that was so unrighteous, God sent a flood to destroy it. He was able to walk with God faithfully. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. But he set his heart in faith because he knew and trusted who God was to walk with him. And in our faith with God, it's meant to grow as we fellowship with this God that we worship. That he's not just meant to be a God that we sing about or that we give offerings to. He's a God that we walk with each day. That we recognize is with us and never leaves us or forsakes us. We must have this desire to please Him and diligently, and diligently seek Him. This is the depiction of faith. But we not only see that faith worships and faith works, faith also, I mean, walks, faith works. Faith puts the, the hands to the, the millstone, to the grind, and, and it puts forth effort. This is where the imagery is given of, of the historical nature of, of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, we see Noah putting what he knew of God into work. He, he takes the instruction that God gives him. And because he's certain that God is worthy of trust, God is worthy of, of worship, God is someone he's walked with, he knows that when God says, this is the command I have for you, the task at hand, he puts himself to work, to do it. And trusting God to with the labor. You see, Noah worked and followed God because his mind was, first of all, listening to God. He knew what to do because he was listening. And his heart was moved with fear towards the Word of God, that if God has said this, then who am I to put myself in greater authority than the God who spoke? That when I read His Word, I recognize it's He who holds the power. It's He who holds the authority. It's He who holds the position. And yet in love, He has spoken to me. In grace, He has made this available so that I would not perish, so my family would not perish, so that a part of the world would not perish, these animals would not perish. It's God's grace that's doing this and overwhelming. Who am I to disapprove of what God has said? So He goes to work. And His his will acted on the word that was revealed from the Lord. We too need to be, have ears that listen and recognize the authority that comes from God's Word and act upon the will that is revealed to us. And let's be clear, God will not ever give us something that's contrary to His Word and call it His will. The Bible says God cannot lie. God will not lie. God is not duplicitous. He is not two-faced. So we must be listeners, but listening to what He's already given So that we know when the voice that we're hearing is not us saying, well, I'm just justifying what I think I want to hear. I'm listening to the word of the Lord. So that I may work according to the will of the Lord. 
It says his faith was commended. But his faith also, because it worked and lived it out, it was evidence of that's what faith looks like. It was the depiction. That's what faith looks like. And whenever you see what faith looks like, you automatically start seeing what faith isn't. And the book of Hebrews says his faith condemned a generation. Because if this is the evidence of faith, then everybody that did not have a faith that mirrored that, that worshipped and walked and worked, you see that it was false. It was not true. Now, I want to be clear here, because I've said faith works. I never want you to to be misunderstood on the gospel and say that works equal faith. No. Faith will bring about works, but works don't equal faith. You could be busy, busy, busy doing all the things that you think are good or that you've heard are good and yet miss out on faith. Miss out on recognizing who God is and doing the work because you want to impress God rather than having someone who has been impressed and impacted by God. And and there's a defining difference The Bible puts it this way, that you have to have a true, authentic faith in order to please God. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Blanket statement, it's there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you do not have faith in who God is as the one worthy of worship, the one worthy of walking with, the one who's worthy of working and following His commands, you have a bad view of God. That is not one of faith. And without faith, it is impossible for God to look at you and say commended. I know that's going to strike people as very difficult, very hard to hear because we often like to think we're good people. We do good things. And I I know good people that do good things that don't believe in Jesus. But the Bible makes this clear. Without faith, it is impossible for you to be commended by God. Because what you're saying, out of all the gracious activity that he has done to make himself known for all that he is and all that he does, and the work that was powerfully stated on the cross through his son, you're saying that's not good enough. And if that's not good enough, that faith cannot be commended. But here is the good news. With faith, on the contrary, if it is impossible for one without faith to be committed before God, here's the great news about it. It is absolutely impossible for those who have faith to be condemned. Because we have trusted all that God is, all that God has done. We're trusting the God who does it for us in spite of us. We're trusting His accomplishments instead of our own. And that faith will lead us towards work, but it will never be caused by work. We are never saved by what our own hands can do. But because of what God's hands did on the cross, we work to serve Him. We, that's, that's the, the topsy-turvy of it all. But we see some other depictions here that we need not to, to brush over. The, the Bible doesn't stop with Noah and the, and the flood. It goes on to say these are other depictions of the faithful of God and how even though they were flawed men, flawed women with failures and faults, God was the hero in their story and they trusted Him. And this is how their faith was put into action. So faith not only worships God for who He is, and not only walks with God in fellowship because God has graciously made that way, it not only works because God has already provided the gracious gift that saves us and we work to honor Him, but faith waits on God. Faith waits on God. 
And it doesn't wait like just sitting in a waiting room doing nothing. It, it follows with the Lord while waiting on Him to bring about His promises in His means, in His time. This is why we're given the imagery of Abraham. Abraham, who obeyed what he believed and knew of God. He knew that God was worthy of worship. He knew that God was calling him to walk with him. He knew that God was worthy of work and, and, and doing the, the mileage traveling. I mean, I'll be honest. I love road trips and I hate road trips. I love them because there's so much to see. But man, getting in a, in a, in an automobile and packing your stuff and, and going just a couple hundred miles down the road in a car that takes me only a few hours? That's a lot of work. Abraham traveled miles, loaded everything he had, and still brought along a kid named Lot. And he followed because he believed in the Lord that was speaking to him to go to a place that he didn't even know the name of yet. God told him to go to a country that I will show you. I mean, imagine that. We're called to leave this city. Well, where are we going? I can't tell you. Well, why not? You're trying to keep it a secret. No, I just don't know yet. Well, when will you know? God will tell me when you get there. Sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this road trip. But that's what he does. He didn't know where God would lead him. Verses 8 through 10 tell him that. He, he settled a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out even though he did not know where he was going. But he waited on God to show him as he was following you see that he didn't know that how God would keep his promise. Sarah was believed but didn't know how. It makes no bones about it. And this may insult people, but it's not meant to insult people. The Bible just says they were old. It was They're so old they can't have kids. It's just the way it is. Like biology, the Bible's making clear that this person was, even says as good as dead. That's pretty old. But the Bible's saying that's the miraculous nature of it. And Abraham was called. He was already an old man. Childless. And he didn't know how God would keep His promises, but he knew God would. He didn't know when God would keep His promises. You know when he got there, he had to travel all the way to to the land of Canaan. But do you know how long he waited after he got there for kids? 25 years! How many of you are willing to wait 25 years for the promises of God that you've been waiting for and felt like God was going to do? How many of you are saying, I'm going to sign up for that to be 25 years later before that is ever fulfilled? Most of us don't. Man, we don't even want to go inside the store to pay for gas. We just want to put the card in and sit in the car this time of year. Nobody's got time for that. But he didn't know when. But he knew he would. And he didn't know why God would keep his promises. Verses 17 through 19. He didn't know God, know why God would keep his promises. But in verses 17 through 19, he says that when he was tested, he offered up his son Isaac. He went about the business of, of following the word of the Lord, waiting God for God to fulfill his promise. And, and, and he trusted him. And eventually God gave him that son. But then 13 years later, he says, you're going to take that same son and take him to a hilltop on a place I'm going to show you. And you're going to follow that. And you're going to offer him there. And 
Abraham didn't know why God would ask him to do this, but he was willing to follow. And God miraculously provided a lamb in place of his son Isaac to show Abraham that his following of the Lord, his waiting patiently on the Lord was worth it because God is the hero of the story. And faith waits. It was these same patriarchs. Isaac, the one that was on that altar, he passed it on to to Jacob. And Jacob passed it on to his sons and it eventually got passed on to Joseph. That's what it says in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. He, He passed on that. You can trust the Lord. You should worship Him. You should walk with Him. You should work for Him. And you should wait on Him. Because His promises do not fail. All the while, these men who were called and said, you're going to receive a promised land and your inheritance is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and, and the grains of the seashore. And yet, they're still wandering around in tents with a small family. But God's promises do not fail. And even when things turn for the worse and they sold their brother into slavery... Verses 21 and 22 says, By faith, Jacob, whenever he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. In the very end of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter 50, all the families, all 70 now, of the people that were the descendants of Abraham are in Egypt. They're not even in the promised land anymore. And and Joseph knows his time is coming to an end. And he says, when I die, don't leave me here. Carry me further with you. Because I'm waiting on that day that God is going to give this people that promised land. That God's promises do not fail. Why did he do that? Because faith waits on God. You see, Joseph gives us the example of knowing what he believed that God would keep his promises And Joseph also was one that knew where he belonged, that one day God will take my people to that place he's promised us. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind, to remember that we are meant to know what we believe and grow in our knowledge of what we believe, but to also remember this world, while we are called to impact this world, to be on mission in this world, to not forsake this world, it is not our home. There is a place we belong. And one day God will keep His promise and say, I will take them to be where I am. That where I am, they will also be. Faith waits. And it doesn't just sit, cross its arms, cross its legs, check the watch. I'm not getting up till you do something, God. No, it says, While I'm waiting, I'm going to be busy worshiping. I'm going to be busy walking with you. I'm going to be busy working, doing what you've told. And I will wait for you to fulfill your promises in your times, in your means, in spite of me. I will trust you. Faith waits in the Lord in this way. Faith also is not only one of these things that is is so beautiful and patient. We look and say, oh, that's so that's so sweet. It's worshiping the Lord and walking with the Lord and working for the Lord and and waiting on the Lord. That's so sweet and beautiful. I want to tell you something else faith does. Faith goes to war. Faith is willing to fight. Faith is willing to stand strong. Verses 24 through 25, we're given the imagery of what happened in the life of Moses. 
after he is rescued and, and, and not perishing as many other children did in the days before the Exodus. He grows to be a man. This is about when he had grown up in verse 24 and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. So what does this say about faith? Faith in itself, because it's certain of who God is and what God does and the, and the Word of God who is worthy of worship when we follow Him and walking with God and working with God and waiting on God. When it comes to other faiths, there is an absolute refusal to be lessening of God in who He is. It's not that we start cursing other faiths. I don't want you to mishear that. It's not that we try to wipe out another faith. That's not what we are there to do. But we understand because we have certainty in whom we have believed, in what we have believed, in what we know, and where we belong, that when it comes to other faiths trying to twist and contort that which God has already said about who He is and what He desires and what it means to follow Him, we say, no! Here I stand. I can do no other. When it comes to these things, because we will not allow that to permeate our life, even though it might afford us some pleasures in this world, we remember that we do not belong here. That's what Moses does. Rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin, he could have had it all. But he chose to follow the Lord and that warred against everything else around him. It brought reproach on him. He would have to eventually be despised in the eyes of the kingdom of this world. In order for us to look here at this place and say, but he was elevated in the eyes of God. He would bear reproach for true faith. But he understood there was a reward in following the Lord. He was looking ahead to the reward. The promise that God would deliver His people. The promise that God would walk with them. The promise that God would be honored and worshipped because of His delivery. The promise that God would eventually bring about the fulfillment of the promised land. He was looking forward to those things. And He also knew as He grew with the Lord that one day God was going to send an ultimate deliverer. And He told His people, one day a prophet will arise that's greater than I. Listen to Him. Even then, God was giving him glimpses that one day the ultimate Redeemer, the Lord Himself, would walk among His people. And Moses believed and refused the faiths of others. He let them believe what they believe, but he would not let it saturate his own life. And he knew that would bring reproach. Because he knew that if he was going to do that, he would be outed publicly as identifying with the Lord. But he knew there was reward in trusting the Lord. 
What does that mean for us today? I mean, in a, our world, we live in an age where it's so easily for take a little bit of this and maybe that's a little true. And maybe this is a little true. And let's just kind of throw it in the wash together and come out with some weird tie dye of faith. But it's not the biblical faith. We've got to be careful. We don't need to hate those of other faiths. We need to carefully and lovingly show them what it means to have true faith. That our war is not one of, 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 of taking to arms. There's a case for that to be justified war as far as defense of a people. Yes. I'm not going into that today. But our war as a people is to say, this is the faith in God and His kindness is taking we who were once enemies of God. And drawing them near to himself. And I want you to know as one who was once an enemy of God. But now is an adopted child of God. He extends the same grace to all who would come to him. And I want to tell you. That this is the faith that I will not back down on. Because this is the faith that God has made known. Faith wars. And here's good news. Faith wins. We know the, that there's a there's a good side to this. We know there's a good ending to this narrative. We know that, that the, the cross wasn't the end for Jesus. We know that He rose again. And we know the promise that one day He's coming again. But we see evidence and evidence back in the past history of God working throughout the, 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 the time frame of man. Of saying testimony after testimony, I am a God who wins. I do not fail. I do not flee. There is no fault with me. And you see impossible circumstances that are there. The walls of Jericho marched around for seven days and they came crumbling down. You see unlikely candidates. Rahab the prostitute is listed in the hall of fame of faith, y'all. A prostitute! And I, yeah, I said that word twice, so I'm probably going to get some emails later. I'm going to have to explain that to my kid. Thank you. But that's what the word in the Bible calls it. But here's the beauty of that. She's also listed in the lineage of Jesus. Amazing. Unlikely candidates. And yet God using and looking at it where we would say that's an impossible circumstance. There's no impossible. There can be winning victory there or here or wherever we may place it. Where when we look at our own life, when we look in the mirror and say, man, These people may not know who I am, but I know who I am. And surely God knows who I am. And he says, yes, I do. But unlikely candidates is how God shows the greatness that in spite of flaws and faults and failures, he is the hero. He is the hero. And we go on to see not only that faith wins in extraordinary ways and circumstances, according to verses 30 through 31, We see in verses 32 through 40 that faith welcomes a broad spectrum of people. It's already listed Rahab and her vocation. It's already listed that. But it goes on and it lists Gideon who was so afraid of the people of Midian that he was threshing the wheat in in a wine press and considered himself of one of the smallest households and the lowliest of his household. We see listed Barak, a man that was called to be a general in the book of Judges, but was so fearful that he asked the, 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 the prophetess Deborah to go with him. And we would not even receive credit for the victory, even though he won. It was a lady named Jael who eventually took out the other general. 
The enemies of God. We see Samson who abandoned the vows that were placed upon his life as, as a Nazarite. Meant never to touch anything dead, never to be drunken, never to have his hair cut, never to carouse in adulterous living, and yet he abandoned every single one of them. We see Japheth, a man who did not understand God in a way that he just said he would sacrifice anything he, that would come out of his door to the Lord if the God would give him victory. In other words, he's the guy that's trying to make deals with God. I just got to put it on my Facebook last night as people were making deals for the Patriots to lose last night. Church is open today. Um, you know. And Japheth makes this vow with God. The first thing ends up being his daughter. His only child. But instead of going to the Lord and going to the Word, he goes through with it. And yet God used him. You see, David, I can mention his name here now because some of our saints that have gone before us that are not as mad at, they're not here, so they're not as mad at him as he was. But adulterous, lying, murderous David. Yeah, we remember all the good things, the Psalms and the slaying of the giant and the the mighty king, but flawed. We see Samuel. We say, oh, you can't say anything bad about Samuel. Yeah, Samuel was a great man, but guess what? His kids, even though he was faithful, his kids abandoned the faith. It lets you know that if you don't have a perfect family, that's not the reason. God can still use you. And he lists the prophets. Who by faith they were conquering kingdoms and, and administered justice and obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions and, and quenched the raging fire and escaped the edge of the sword and gained strength and weaknesses and became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. That women received back their dead and were raised to life again. Others of these prophets, they were tortured and they didn't accept release so that they might be gain a better resurrection. It didn't always turn out great for them. Many of them considered themselves weak, fearful, unable to speak. And then it lists others. Man, I'm so glad it lists others. Because faith says that it not only welcomes those who were, it welcomes those who are and those who will be. And yes, they will go through the trials of life. Someone will go around destitute and, and it will look and they'll say, how can that life worship God? How can that life walk with God? How could that life wait on God? How could that life work for God? How could that life... Be at war in their faith. How could it be so certain of victory? How could it be so welcoming and gracious? Because that life looks ahead and sees Jesus. That the book of Hebrews is all about. And it points to Him and says, in spite of any failures, faults, or flaws that we have, God is the hero of our faith. He is the author and the perfecter of it as we're going to look ahead. And it draws us there so that we'll get a clear image of the gospel. That the God who is holy and sees all things righteous in all he does, he welcomes people of faith. But he has to do something with the offense of sin. And so he doesn't say, well, if you worship enough, or you, you walk enough, or, or you work enough, or you, or you wait enough, or, or you war enough, or you win enough, that, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let you earn this. That is not what it does. It's a faith that welcomes and says, you have never done enough, nor will you ever be able to. But it is impossible for those who have faith in God to be condemned. Without faith, we are already condemned. It's impossible to be 
commended without faith. But God welcomes everyone based on what He has done on the cross for us. By being the Holy One, the Sinless One, the Perfect One, willingly laying down His life, accomplishing it all, and then rising again. He says, what I offer my people as Jesus, who is better, salvation and grace, which is better and exceedingly greater reward, I place before them. And if they will receive it by faith, true faith and belief, they'll become children of God. They'll become adopted and bearers of my name. And I will not only walk with them and change their eternity, I will walk amongst them and their faith will be shaped in a way that transforms their life. This is why we do what we do. I have no desires. Well, I say I have no desires to one day be listed in a hall of fame. It's probably never going to happen. One day I'm going to be easily forgotten. It's just going to happen. One day my children will have children and their children will have children and their children will have children should the Lord tarry and their children will have children and I will just be a name on a genealogy if even that. But what we do here echoes and impacts eternity. So while I may not ever have a Hall of Fame memory here on earth, I will not lose my reward. I will seek to be faithful and I will fail at times. But I'm thankful Jesus is the hero of my story. And He can be yours as well. Today we're going to have a chance to respond to the Word of God. And I pray that you would see that while you may not have a big name, a big idea, or big accomplishment, God welcomes all who respond in true faith. And He brings us a life that is transformed by His grace. I hope you know that today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to this conclusion, I pray that you would help Whoever that is here that needs to respond to your mighty grace, your glory, your gospel, you would help them do so today in true faith that you commend. And I pray that we as a church would be encouraging in this time. We would be prayerful in this time. And we would be seeking whatever it is that you want to say to every single one of us. And we too would say yes and amen to whatever you tell us to do. That in this moment, our faith would worship. It would walk with you. It would work for you and wait for you. It would be a faith that shows victory and welcome. Lord, have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be down here at the front. I'm going to ask you to, as the music plays, to just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. We do this each week. And we offer a time of response because we believe it's important for people to have the, the time to prayerfully consider what they need to do right where they are and have that conversation with God. He's not muddy about what He wants when it comes to what your life is, where your life is with Him. The question is, will you trust Him in what He wants and what He's pointing towards? But we also give this time of response because sometimes you might need counsel. You might have a question that, that you need answering or, or, or maybe you're just discouraged and you need someone to encourage you or, or you need someone to pray for you. And, and I'm up here at the front. There are others in this room that would be glad to do so, that love you, that care for you. And should you need them in this time, that's what this time of response is for. If you need to take somebody and say, hey, would you go down the room and pray with me right now? I need to talk to you. Do it. But I'm going to be down here at the front and, and maybe there's a... Uh, 
a decision in your life that, that you need some counsel from a pastor. Maybe that decision is placing your faith in the Lord Jesus, coming to that place where you admit that you, like all of us, have come to a place, or at least those that follow Jesus. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That we believe that the God that, that is revealed in the Bible, Jesus Christ is that Savior, who really came, who really died, who really rose again. And we've placed our faith in Him. Who have confessed with our heart and our lips that, that this Jesus is the one that we will follow. And we've asked Him to forgive us. And never leave us. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are a person who needs to take that very first step of faith. And placing your trust in Jesus. I'd love to help you. If that's what the Lord is impressing and directing on your life. I never want to manipulate anybody to do it. Maybe today you're here and you say I'm a follower of Jesus. But I've never been scripturally baptized as a believer. I've never made the choice of my own volition to do that. Maybe you're here and, 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 and you are a believer, but you, you're not united with the church. How can you grow if you're not planted where God is calling you to be planted? You could grow, but it may not be in the right way. We want to help you with that. So as the music continues to play, if, if you need counsel and need to take this step of response, either wherever you're at or with someone else, this is where you would follow after the Lord's leader in your life.